Let's pray. Father in heaven, would you answer that prayer we just sang? We confess our need of you, that you are our defense, that you, Lord Jesus, are our righteousness. That you have exchanged your perfection for our imperfection and have wrapped us up in you. That in you we might find life. In you we might find hope and peace. Would you teach us by your word, through your Holy Spirit, this morning. That your people might be encouraged and built up and sent out as bearers and proclaimers of this hope that we have in Jesus who loves us and who rescues us. We pray all this in Jesus' name this morning. Amen and amen. You can have a seat. Uh, Good morning, River City. Thank you for the response. Appreciate that. Um, If you need a Bible to follow along with, you can raise your hand and someone from our strike team We'd be happy to give one to you. If you do not own a Bible, feel free to keep this one. Write your name inside the front cover and take it home with you. Um, we'd love for you to have one. I know it's a holiday weekend, so people are traveling and getting in one last summer hurrah before the slow march into the depths of winter. But today, I'd like today to, to just renew a little bit of vision for us as a church so if you're catching this afterwards on the recording, uh, or if you're here this morning, welcome. One of the defining values or philosophies of us as a church is the concept of multiplication. Built into our mission statement is this idea of multiplication. Not math class, for those of you who have begun classes, although that helps, but, but we are called to make disciples who make disciples. The word we like to use around here is multiplicative. It is a multiplicative process. And to unpack the biblical foundation for this part of our mission, we're going to look this morning at Paul's second letter to a young pastor named Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 2. You'll find 2 Timothy toward the end of your Bible. If, you're t- if you have one of the Bibles from us this morning, it's page 578. However, at the top of that particular page, there's no page number, so you have to look at 579 and just go back one. But 578 in those Bibles. Uh, helpfully, 2 Timothy comes right after 1 Timothy, so if you're having trouble finding it, if you get to Hebrews, you've gone too far, okay? 2 Timothy chapter 2. We're primarily going to be looking at just two verses, verses 1 and 2. But we are going to read all the way through verse 7 and just reference a little bit of, of 3 through 7 as well. But before we read, let me give you a little context as you're finding your way there. 2 Timothy chapter 2. Paul was an apostle of Jesus Christ, called and sent by God. Specifically, Paul was called to bring this message of Jesus to Gentiles, that is to non-Jews. The other apostles who were all with Jesus in person, but Paul was different. He was a Pharisee. He actually actively persecuted and worked against the disciples in the the early part of this gospel expansion. He, He oversaw the martyrdom, the death of early Christians. But the risen Lord Jesus confronts Paul 
in a vision and transforms him from persecutor to pastor, from agitator to apostle. And Jesus commissions Paul and says, okay, Paul, I've called you now to bring the gospel to the nations. You're going to preach this gospel. You're going to equip pastors and elders and missionaries to continue the work after you in making disciples of Jesus. And so Timothy, who this letter is named after, Timothy's a young man who has been changed by the gospel. And Paul is his mentor, a a spiritual father. And Paul has been with Timothy in person. And these two letters that we have, 1 and 2 Timothy, are letters from Paul to Timothy to encourage him in the work that he's been called to as a young pastor, as a young church planter, as a young disciple maker, saying, not just here's what it means to believe in Jesus, but here's how to do what I'm doing. And he's passing along what it means to make disciples to Timothy so he can as well. So 2 Timothy is the second letter and comes at it, duh, and comes at a time when uh, Timothy is facing some significant challenges both in his life, he's young, he's got some health issues, but also in ministry. Not only is life hard sometimes, but there are some conflicts within the people who call themselves the congregation around Timothy. The culture in which Timothy lives is increasingly hostile to this gospel. So perhaps we'll find some encouragement here as well. So that's a little bit of the context. Let's read together the text, and then we'll unpack it for a few minutes. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus, and what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits, since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It is the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. This is God's word for us this morning. Life as a disciple is sometimes difficult. Sometimes life is just hard all by itself, right? Sometimes life, the the average everyday comings and goings of life, is just hard. Add to that a hostile culture. Add to that a difficult family environment. Add to that the complexity and busyness in our context of the, the, the busy American way of life where we just are constantly moving, frenetic, just without pause, right? And the idea of just being a disciple of Jesus can be challenging, let alone doing the work of making other disciples. Like, not even thinking about what we're called to do, just being it is tough sometimes. Life as a disciple of Jesus is full of all kinds of challenges. And this morning, I want to call us to a renewed vision that in spite of all of those things, every disciple of Jesus is called is strengthened and is sent by God's grace for the continued work of making disciples who make disciples. Let me say that again. Every disciple of Jesus is called, strengthened, and sent by God's grace for the continued work of making disciples who make disciples. 
And this is our mission together as a local church. I see all these three realities in verses 1 and 2. Every disciple is called by grace, strengthened by grace, and sent by grace. So let's pick these apart one at a time. First, every disciple is called by grace. Verse 1 begins, you then my child. It's interesting. Liz was talking about family just a minute ago. Paul and Timothy are not biologically related. But Paul has taken a a personal responsibility for Timothy. You then, my child. Just add that to the bit of context, the amount of personal connection and importance and passion that Paul has here for this Timothy. The language of you then is is a therefore statement. Based on what I just said earlier in the letter, you then, Timothy my child, so this you then comes after this long section which we don't have time to read today. I'd encourage you to read 2 Timothy uh, chapter 1 this week. Paul is encouraging Timothy in all that he's been called to. Let me just touch on a couple of the high points. In chapter 1, verses 3 through 7, Paul celebrates the legacy of the gospel in Timothy's life. He he, he reminds Timothy, hey, remember, the Lord was at work in the life of your grandmother. The gospel was at work in her, who passed that on to, to her daughter, your mother, who passed that along to you. And that faith that your grandmother had, that your mother have, had, that you now have, that faith that you have in Jesus is bearing fruit in your life, Timothy. And Paul celebrates that. And then Paul adds to that an encouragement, a challenge, an instruction. He says, Timothy, that faith that's been given to you, he says, fan that into flame. Tend that fire. Add oxygen and fuel to that spark of faith in your life. He's encouraging him to to keep on, to build on it, to keep going. Paul himself lays hands on Timothy, he tells us, commissions him for ministry. So not only is Paul encouraging him in his faith in Jesus, Paul has taken a vested interest because he has specifically poured into this young man He has laid hands on him and said, we want to pray for him and commission him and send him. Paul's invested. And he's encouraging him to not be afraid, but instead have a spirit of power and of love and of self-control. Chapter 1, verse 7. Paul is saying, you, Timothy, you've been called by God's grace. Therefore, there is nothing to be ashamed of, verse 8. You can share in hardships and sufferings by God's power who saved us and called us. It's because you are called by God, Timothy, that you have all that you need. And that you and me, Paul is saying, have this same calling. Because God in Christ Jesus gave us His own purpose in grace. Verse 9, before the ages began. And verse 10, which is now being manifested through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus. He is tying his encouragement to Timothy to keep going as a disciple maker to his calling to you've been called by God. And he has purposed to to do this, to call you by his own purpose and grace in Christ Jesus. Therefore, 
continue in this work as a disciple to make disciples. Paul's saying, I'm responsible and have a conviction to remind you of these things, young Timothy, so that you don't lose heart in the midst of suffering and so that you are faithful all the way till the end. And as one of your pastors, I relate to Paul's responsibility to Timothy here. I feel a little bit of Paul's burden. We as the elders of your church relate to Paul's responsibility to Timothy and to the church that he's called to shepherd. We, we feel a little bit of that. And you ask any one of us, and we would say, yes, we, 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 we feel this responsibility. So let me remind you of your calling this morning, if I can borrow from Paul. You then, disciple of Jesus at River City Church, sitting in your chair and listening to these words, you and I can labor through hardship for the gospel by the power of God. We can labor on because He saved us. Because He called us to a holy calling. Not because of our own works, but because of His own purpose and grace, which He gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which has now been manifested through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus. This is your calling. We are called first to God in Christ, and it is the power of of grace that calls us and makes us new creations. It's the power of grace that makes us disciples. If you belong to Jesus this morning, if you are his disciple, then you are that because you have been called by God by his own purpose and grace. That's you this morning. So let's continue. Paul says, Therefore, you then, my child, Be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. First, every disciple is called by grace. Second, every disciple is strengthened by grace. Paul tells Timothy, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Which is interesting. Because the the phrase, be strengthened, is a command statement. But it's passive. (laughs) Right? Paul doesn't say, get stronger. Or believe harder, he says, be strengthened. How is Timothy supposed to be strengthened? Paul says, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Basically, I think Paul is saying this. It is grace in Christ at work to make you strong. To borrow from Dr. John Piper, grace isn't merely God's disposition toward you in Christ Jesus. It's not just how he feels about you because of Jesus, meaning that in Christ God now looks on you with undeserved favor, although it is that. But it also means that grace is also power at work in you. It's God's disposition toward you that in Christ he now looks upon you with favor rather than with just judgment, which we deserve because we're in Christ Jesus, amen? But also, grace is at work in us, working power in us. Paul said earlier in chapter 1, we already read it, because of his grace he called us. We didn't do anything to deserve this calling, not because of our works, but because of his grace which he gave us in Christ Jesus. It's grace that calls us and saves us, and it is ours in Christ Jesus to strengthen us. That's what Paul is saying. Paul says it like this in his 
letter to the church in Corinth, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Paul says this, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. It's by God's grace that I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, Paul says, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Paul is saying, yeah, I worked, I worked hard. I worked real hard. I labored to make sure people heard the name of Jesus. I endured suffering to make sure that people heard the name of Jesus. But the strength that I have to work, to live out this calling in God's grace, isn't mine. It's Christ at work in me. I worked hard, but what was happening to to produce that in me wasn't me. That's what Paul's saying. Or in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, Paul says this, encouraging the church in his second letter to the church in Corinth. He says, God is able to make all grace abound to you, telling the church, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all time, you may abound in every good work. The parallel there is, is, a, is an encouragement. Paul's encouraging them to continue in the work that you're called to. And how are you going to do that? Well, because God is able to make grace abound to you. Grace is at work enabling and empowering the good work that God calls us to as his disciples. And so Paul is encouraging Timothy, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Be strengthened. And this immediately raises a question for me. How do we actually put that into practice, right? How do we obey this odd, passive command, if you will? If I can say it that way, to be strengthened by God's grace. How do we experience grace-producing strength in us for the work of making disciples? I think at least in part of the, part of the way is this. We, we, we legitimately, in all things, both good and bad, in joys and in sorrows, we look to Christ and trust that He will supply the strength needed for the task. Now, this might sound like just like Christian mumbo-jumbo. What does it mean to look to Christ? That there's an active submission of my heart and a pursuit of my mind and my emotions and my affections to say, you, Lord Jesus, have called me to this. You have have rescued me from death and have called me and made me your own. What would you have for me? How, How can I trust you more? Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. It's pouring over his word and saying, okay, you've given us all that we need for life and for godliness. What would you have to teach me? Holy Spirit of God, teach me. As I open the word, trust, looking to Christ and then trusting that he will supply the strength needed for the task. See, we don't deserve this grace. We can't produce it ourselves. We look to Christ and everything he is and everything he's done. And in seeing him and all his sufficiency, we can then trust that because of Christ, we will have all that we need to live as disciples making disciples. To quote again from Dr. John Piper, God does not require anything of us that he will not give us the strength to do. God doesn't say, go be strong, endure hardship, good luck. Be strengthened by the grace that is at work within you. 
in the midst of hardship and suffering, of challenges and disappointment, in a culture that is hostile, in a situation that might be overwhelming to you, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. First, every disciple is called by grace. Second, it is grace that strengthens every disciple. And third, every disciple is then sent by grace. Look at verse 2. Paul says, And what you have heard me say, heard from me, excuse me, in the presence of many witnesses, and trust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Paul's giving Timothy a framework for what this looks like, I think. Now, we don't do a lot of tangible object lessons, but I'm going to need some volunteers this morning who are willing to come up here and help me with an illustration. I promise you don't have to say anything. You just have to stand up here for a few minutes so we can visualize what Paul is saying. I asked Rich if he'd be my first volunteer. He said I could seed uh, the crowd a little. I need a couple other volunteers, and I'd like one. Okay, James, I figured you'd say yes. Um, I actually, I do need some age-specific. Is there anyone in the, like, 30 to 50 range who wants to come up? Any volunteers? If you don't, I'll just call on you. Thank you. And now I need someone who's, James, how old are you? 22. I need someone who's younger than 20. Addie, would you come up? Why don't you come stand over here for a second? And Addie, you're over here on the other side of James. Daddy's birthday today, by the way, so I'm going to slightly embarrass her, so you should sing happy birthday to her later. We're not going to do that now. Okay. Thank you for helping us. Now, I, the reason I, I wanted to have some volunteers, because I wanted you to, to visualize this, um, particularly for those of you who are visual learners in the room, like me, okay? Paul's saying this. For this illustration, we're going to use Rich as our, as our Paul in, the, in 2 Timothy chapter 2. Paul's saying to Timothy, what you have heard me say, okay? What you, Timothy, have heard me say in the presence of all these witnesses, your responsibility is to entrust that message to other faithful men and women who will be able to teach others also, right? You see the line of responsibility here? What, what you have heard me say, entrust to reliable men who can teach others also, it doesn't have to be generation by age, but we can kind of see it a little easier that way, right? From Paul's perspective, this is a, a multi-spiritual uh, generation, if you will, a four generations of gospel advancement happening. But from each person in the line, each has a Paul and each has a Timothy. So here's the other parts of this illustration. On the front side of this is a Paul who encouraged this Timothy in the faith. I'm sure you have a Paul in your life, or have had, right, Rich? Other Pauls who've, who've encouraged you? Sorry, you've had other Pauls who've encouraged you? Absolutely, right? And on this side, Addie picks up the mantle in the places where God will, has placed her and will place her in her classroom, in her own home, amongst her peers as God continues to grow her and shape her and, and, and as she steps out into the world in different spheres of influence, God will grant you the responsibility as a disciple of Jesus to look around and say, hey, who's he called me to share the gospel with? And so in both directions, there's a line of Paul's and Timothy's. And they're not just thinking Paul and Timothy. Paul is thinking about Timothy's grandson or granddaughter in the faith in this passage. Does that make sense? You see the, see the picture? 
Thank you, uh, volunteers. Can we give them a round of applause? I, I did that because I wanted us just to see tangibly the, the one-to-one relationship, but not just the one-to-one, but the, the, the generations of those on the back side of this who would believe. That's the beauty of this picture here, is that Paul would encourage Timothy, not just for Timothy's sake, but because there's someone two or three or ten generations later who's going to hear the gospel and, and trust in Jesus and then be turned around to share the gospel with someone else. This is the difference between disciple as a standalone concept and disciple making. Every disciple is called, strengthened, and sent by God's grace. This is my calling and this is your calling as disciples of Jesus. Yes, Paul is encouraging a young pastor in Timothy as he thinks about elders in his local congregation, as he deals with some specific people who've attempted to do him harm. But in everything that Paul says to Timothy of what he has in Christ Jesus, it's the same thing that every believer has in Christ Jesus. Which is why I have no problem saying that, well, yes, Paul is giving Timothy some equipping as a pastor to pastors. His pattern for disciple-making applies to every disciple. So I have no problem making that, that, that leap for us. The mission given to every disciple is the entrusting to others of the truth of the gospel and the task of disciple-making. That is multiplication. Now, we're not going to cover it in depth today, but in verses 3 through 7 of 1 Timothy, Paul gives us a few illustrations for what this grace-strengthened work looks like. And I am going to cover it briefly and encourage you to continue to read it and study it this week. But I'd like to touch on them for just maybe some application for us to take home with us. Paul gives us three different people doing three different jobs, these kinds of hardship or suffering or work that he talks about in verse 3. And then in these three roles, there is grace-strengthened work to be done. Paul uses the picture of a soldier and an athlete and a farmer. And in each one, there's an exhortation or a challenge. And in each one, there's a blessing that comes with it. I've borrowed three pictures from some people. Jarrett shared with me. uh, These are three people who are River City folks. Uh, This is Casey on the end. Casey and his wife, Jordan, uh, lead a community group. Uh, that's Casey, works for the Air Guard. Actually, he, has a, he was getting an award there for being awesome. And then uh, in the middle here is Cam, Cameron Rawl. He's a uh, track star extraordinaire, right? I, I got him like mid-running was the picture he sent me. All of his pictures, by the way, were like super intense faces because he's like in it, right? And then over here, Jarrett is, I had to crop the picture. The picture is much more impressive. Uh, that John Deere is, is a large tractor and... Here's Jarrett. You didn't have you have the plaid shirt on today, not here. But Jarrett working in as a farmer. All we need is a straw hat and a pair of suspenders, and we're good, right? But I wanted you to see a, kind of a modern, a picture we can relate to of the, some of the things that Paul's talking about. You can leave this this picture up there if you'd like. The soldier. Let's start there. The soldier is called to a specific mission, right? The soldier is focused on that task, Paul says. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits. The soldier can't get sidetracked because so often the lives are on the line. The soldier can't get distracted because he's part of a larger team and he's got a job to accomplish. 
So Paul, talking about this kind of work, like a soldier, he says, the blessing or the reward for the soldier who completes this mission, who is focused, it says his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. The, the reward for the faithful soldier is that his commanding officer says, well done. When the enlisting or commanding officer looks upon your hard work and says, well done, good and faithful soldier, right? The challenge is to remain focused on the mission, and the blessing is the joy of the one who called us. The athlete. We have a fair amount of athletes in the room. The athlete is in competition, and competitions have rules. I don't know if you are an athlete or were an athlete. I don't know if you watched much of the recent Summer Olympic Games, but I'm always fascinated by the track and field events. Athletes holding on on a line with their feet in blocks, just waiting for the starting gun, and then sprinting along a track to see who runs faster. And so many of those races are measured and decided by hundredths of seconds. It's crazy. I, I think that, uh, I saw the memes, you all did too, I think they should just put a normal average person out there in all the Olympic events just to see the difference. Like, I, let me run the 100 meter dash along with all the other ones so everyone can be like, oh, they really are fast, <laughs> right? We don't, have, we don't have concepts of hundredths of seconds. That would be amazing and embarrassing to see me try to run that. But, right? It's, it's, it's fascinating to watch. And who's the one that gets the medal? Who's the one that wears the the victor's wreath on their head at the end? Is it the one who leaves the blocks early? Is it the one who cuts across the infield because maybe no one will see them? No. It's not the one who cuts off their opponent in the wrong lane. It's not the one who pumps their bodies with illegal substances trying to improve performance. No, the athlete who overcomes is the one who competes hard, Paul says, according to the rules. The challenge is to compete with integrity. And the blessing, Paul says, of this kind of labor is the victor's crown. And then third, the farmer. We know a lot about farmers around here. Most of them would have loved the rain we've been getting like a month ago, but whatever, right? Paul makes sure to remind us that it's the hardworking farmer, not the lazy farmer, the dedicated one, the one putting in the long hours to make sure the crop is well, t- well tended. He's the one, Paul says, we, who ought to be the first to roast up the first ear of sweet corn. Should be the first one to take a handful of grain and grind it down into flour to make that first loaf of bread, the, the fruit of months and months and months of labor. The challenge is to persevere and work hard as unto the Lord. And the blessing is the feast at the end of the harvest. See, it's grace that calls us disciples and soldiers and farmers. It's grace that strengthens us and enables us to remain focused, to run with integrity, to to trust God with the results, to work hard, but not in our own strength, working in all His strength that He powerfully works within us. And it is grace that sends us to the task at hand to take the grace and the gospel we've been shown and entrust that to others. See, we desire to people to come to know Jesus Christ, to live for Him. We pray 
and labor for people to come to know Jesus Christ and to live for Him, His power at work within them. It's not about numbers for the sake of numbers for any of us, but numbers represent people. So the people in your world, in your workplace, in your classroom, the people in your family, these are the people that God has called you to for the purpose of making disciples. These are the people to whom God has called you, has called us to entrust the gospel. Parents with your children, friends, co-workers, neighbors, extended family. See, Paul is reminding Timothy, and I want to remind us, that we have been sent to carry on this mission of entrusting to others what has been entrusted to us. And that I have entrusted to you, and you might entrust others so that they might entrust it to another. And on and on and on it goes in wave after wave of God-glorifying and grace-strengthened effort as men and women and children are wrapped up in God's grace through the gospel, encouraged by God's grace through Jesus Christ, and sent out to make more disciples through that gospel so that the world might know that Jesus Christ has come to announce the victory of his kingdom, to seek and save the lost, and to make for himself a people who will praise his name as he rules and reigns forever as King of kings and Lord of lords. These are the things that we're called to. And there are innumerable challenges in front of us. I I get that. As individuals, in our own lives, we could take a tally of just the stuff of and challenges of our lives right now. And that would be a long list. We have challenges as a local church. We have challenges in our community. Last night, part of downtown was on lockdown because of shots fired not far from here. There's challenges in our local community, right? Challenges in our nation. Challenges all around the globe happening right now. And living as followers of Jesus in this world can be hard. I don't want to sugarcoat that. But let me call us back to this foundational truth. That every disciple of Jesus is called and is strengthened and is sent by God's grace for the continued work of making disciples. This is the mission to which we've been called. May he strengthen us and find us faithful in it. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you that you have called us to yourself, not based on our work, not based on our own merit, but by your purpose and grace, you have called us and welcomed us, and you are transforming us. In the midst of many distractions and hardships and things that would pull at our attention, would you lift our heads and help us to fix our eyes on you? that you might grace us with a fresh reminder of your love for us in Christ Jesus that would then motivate us to look to those around us as those to whom we've been called as messengers, as those willing 
and able by your grace to entrust this message of the gospel. Would you encourage and build up your church this morning that we might be sent out as your ambassadors? Pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.